Hey, this is Emily Swallow from The Mandalorian and Supernatural and SEAL Team, and I am hanging out with Elias on The Man Cave Chronicles. Welcome to another episode of The Man Cave Chronicles. Welcome to the party, pal! You're my boy, boo! Yo, Adrian! I with interviews of amazing guests from the world of pop culture. Oh, yeah. TV. Nice. Movies. Oh, I love the movies. Comedy and more. From deep inside the man cave, your host, Elias. Emily, welcome to the cave and thank you for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. How how are you? What's new with you? I'm good. I am... uh... Finally, I think back on New York time after going from New York to L.A. for the Mandalorian premiere and then from there to Germany for uh, Rockwood Music Festival where I was singing. So I just got back from Germany two nights ago and I think I'm in the right time zone now, but I don't know. If I fall asleep in the middle of this, please don't take it personally. (laughs) No, no worries at all. So yeah, (laughs) you've been busy the last few years, huh? Between acting, singing, voiceover... I mean, yeah, you've, you've done everything. And I also got married uh, in that, congrats, that in the congrats. past two years, too. Yeah, I've been married a little over a year now. So wow. it's been a very, a very good time. Yeah. Have you have you had any rest at all? I have. Um, I mean, rest for me, I, I think, is never like total vegging out. Um, I tend to I just always feel better when I'm in motion. But rest is like getting out into nature and you know i've gotten to take some trips with my husband to kind of get away from the city and um and disconnect from from uh some of the go 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 and find different ways of being in motion so yeah so the listeners know you of course for the mentalist you've been on the supernatural and you just returned to that recently too for the final season correct i did i was so excited when they called me and asked me to come back yeah and, uh, and you had an appearance on the SEAL team on CBS and, of course, Disney Plus, Star Wars, The Mandalorian. We'll talk about that. Uh, I want the listeners to get to know you a little bit better about you. Where are you originally from? Well, I was born in Washington, D.C. Um, and spent the first seven years of my life in Northern Virginia because my dad worked at the Pentagon. Oh, wow. But uh, he retired from the Army when I was seven, and we moved down to Jacksonville, Florida. So most of my growing up was there and for people who don't know florida north florida and south florida are basically like two entirely different states like north florida is more like south georgia so i grew up in the south um and uh it's still pretty easy to get that accent to come out of me it used to be when my grandma was still alive like as soon as i got on the phone with her i would just go right back into like hey grandma how are you and (laughs) it just comes right back um, but yeah, I, my whole family is still in Jacksonville, so I get back there fairly often. And, um, that was where I spent my childhood, but I, I left after high school and haven't lived there since. Oh, wow. So your, so your family's still there, correct? They are. Yeah. yeah. So you see, and I'm actually, I'll be there this, this coming weekend for a, a supernatural convention. So that's kind of cool. Oh, wow. How was it growing up there? Did you enjoy it? I did. Um, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting place, Jacksonville, because it's technically it's a pretty big city. Um, <laughs> kind of the biggest bragging right, though, is that it is the the largest city in the contiguous United States in terms of square mileage. So 
it's big and it's spread out. And it means that like you, you're driving down interstate 95 and you hit a sign that says Jacksonville city limits. And you look around and you're like, where, because it's like still out in the boonies. Um, so kind of within the, the confines of the city, there's like beaches and there's, there's a lot of water in Florida. So I spent a lot of time on the water growing up. I water skied and kneeboarded and swam like a fish um, and loved doing all that. And so it was really great that way. Um, and a lot of our family time was spent around the water. My grandparents had this, this old beat up lake house down in central Florida and we would go and like all the cousins and aunts and uncles would come gather together. And it was like one of those houses where the floor was never really clean. Like there was always sand somewhere and we would all eat together and like sleep on bunk beds and then just be in the water all day. And that is just like one of my strongest memories from growing up. And I loved being outside and I still love being in the water. I mm. learned how to surf, um, Fairly recently. I wish I'd learned when I was younger, but getting back into the water is something that always connects me back to myself. I, I visited Jacksonville one time. My, one of my closest friends lives right outside of Jacksonville, Fleming Island. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a pretty place. Yeah. Yeah. He just he just moved there. Well, he's been to Jacksonville for 10 plus years, but he just moved to Fleming Island. I forgot where else. He lived in another like town area right outside of Jacksonville, too. And when I went there, it was, uh-huh. like, it was in August, and it was so hot in August in Jacksonville. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, that's one thing that I do not miss being down there is that humidity. So you enjoy, the, the, you enjoy the, the hot and muggy place. So you enjoy the New York winters, huh? Well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> uh, I actually have avoided them for the past several years because I was, I was uh, mostly in L.A. for like the last seven years, but my husband is in a show that's on Broadway. So when we got married, you know, we yeah. figured it'd be nice to be in the same place more often than not. So that's why New York is our, our base now. And yeah, my first winter back, this last one, I was a little bit of a wimp about it. And I'm, I'm trying to toughen up, but <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's so many places that you can go where you don't have to deal with winter. Like, I, I would rather leave it to the people who are who are hardier and who want the, the constant cold. Yeah. So as a kid growing up, did you have any idea that you wanted to get into the acting world? Was there like a specific TV show or movie that you watched and it pushed you towards this? Not consciously. Um, I mean, it's funny because I ask uh, people who knew me and they say they're not at all surprised because like I love I loved make-believe. I mean, my I remember... Uh, of course, like playing with Barbies, like lots of other little girls. And my Barbies had an insanely awesome life, um, sometimes very perilous, because like in particular, I remember my Barbies would go cliff diving off of the the second floor. Like, you know, we had our, the you walk into our house and there's a foyer and you go up the stairs and there's like a landing there. And the Barbies would jump off the second floor landing and inevitably like break their necks and it was, it was a perilous thing to be a Barbie in my possession. Um, but I always loved creating these adventures for them. And, and my friends and I would have like dance contests that we would videotape and my cousins and I would, would like make TV commercials and stuff. So I was always like super active in, in imagining different worlds, but I don't think I ever really realized I wanted to do it as a career just because 
I didn't know anyone who did that. Like it wasn't accessible to me. It seemed like a very far away thing. So I feel really, really fortunate because my parents um, are just incredibly supportive and encouraging people. And, you know, they wanted to help my brother and I with whatever interests we had. So like they, you know, I was in like the church choir when I was younger and got to perform that way. And then when I went to school, um, I did school plays and I performed in the community theater, but I always thought like I needed to pursue something very responsible and, and I was, I was a good student. So I felt like, Oh, well, you know, if you get good grades and you work really hard, you should do something that is responsible, even though I didn't even know what that really meant. But for me, that looks like uh, in college, I actually majored in Middle Eastern studies at the University of Virginia. And I thought that I was going to, um, I thought I'd go be in the Foreign Service. And I interned at the State Department for a summer and worked at the Foreign Service Institute in D.C. And I, I really loved it. I yeah. mean, I was passionate about it, but I also, I kind of split my time in college between my major and um, running off to the drama department to do plays. And UVA is fortunately a place where you don't have to be a drama major to be really active in the drama department. So it was there where um, I was doing plays and, and loving it and uh, still not really acknowledging that I wanted to do it as a career, but I had a wonderful, I mean, I had a lot of supportive acting teachers and directors and stuff, but there was one teacher I had who, who just finally posed the question to me. He said, he said, you're good at this and you seem to love it. Is this something that you want to do? And I said, well, I don't even know where to begin. And he helped me work on like 12, I think I had 12 monologues just ready to go in my arsenal so that I could go audition for training programs in New York. And um, I went up to New York for maybe two weekends and just auditioned for as many as I could, like during the season when they were holding auditions. And uh, I got into NYU's grad acting program and I knew enough to know that that was a big deal and I should probably do it. And um, I'm just so, I, I feel like other people in my life pushed me along until I was finally like willing to say like, yes, this is what I want. Yeah. And so I feel really blessed to have had those people because I think there were so many things that I loved that I I didn't know that this was the thing that I loved the most. Um, but yeah, I went to NYU and then I've been working ever since. So I'm really glad that I, I walked through that door when the door opened. So you started off in theater. What was the next step? Like what made you say, okay, next is TV or movies? It was really just curiosity about it. I mean, I love theater and I thought, why would I ever want to do anything else? I love, I love the connection with the audience in theater and I love um, I love that even though you're doing the same show every night it's never it's never the same yeah. it's always happening in that moment and there's no way to recreate it and I love how I love how things grow in a rehearsal room and there's like a subtlety and a nuance that you just don't often have the time to nurture in the same way when you're doing TV and film um, so I was captivated by that. And it was more just like curiosity, like, okay, what would it be like to, to do something on camera? And my very first TV gig was actually on Guiding Light, which wow. was one of the long running soaps that is no more. And I mean, talk about an intense uh, shift because, you know, theater, you have like all this time to rehearse and 
you're learning things very gradually. And in the soap opera world, as I came to learn, because I wound up recurring on Guiding Light for a few episodes, like you just get pages and pages and pages thrown at you at the last minute. And I have such incredible respect for those actors who are regulars on those things, because that is a beast. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, so I, I played a very tawdry character on Guiding Light and, and it was just fun. I knew that I, I loved it and I was still curious to know more what it would be like. Um, so I, I continued though, mostly to do theater and then, it was actually like a really uh, unfortunate event that propelled me into doing more TV because I had gotten my first Broadway show. Um, it was a musical called High Fidelity that was based on the Nick Hornby novel and the uh, the movie that John Cusack was in. Which is an awesome and, uh, movie. Oh, yeah. Such an incredible movie and such an incredible book if you've yeah. never read it. I mean, it's just like a love affair with music and it's so smart and so funny. And the show was, was really good. And we had uh, an incredible creative team. I mean, we had David Lindsay, a bear who wrote the book and he like, I think while we were rehearsing, he won the Pulitzer for rabbit hole. And we had uh, doing the music, we had Tom Kitt and Amanda green and Tom um, subsequently went on to win a Tony. And I think, and the Pulitzer for uh, next to normal. Um, so really, really talented people. And, um, we did an out of town tryout in Boston and had a full run there. And then we came to New York and we rehearsed and there were some rewrites and stuff. And we had like, I think we had two weeks of previews. We opened on a Thursday night. And when we got to work the following Tuesday, we found out we were closing at the end of the week. Oh, geez. So <laughs> it was just, I mean, it was really, um, it was a tough lesson to learn, but also an important lesson to see that, like, you know, even even achieving this dream of, like, getting on Broadway, it's definitely not smooth sailing all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but that happened right before pilot season. And one of my main people at my agency had just moved from the New York office to the L.A. office. So all of a sudden I was without a job. Um, I was faced with the prospect of another New York winter (laughs) and I thought well all right let me see what LA is like and I went out there and I stayed with uh with my friend from college uh Ben well now he's known as Ben McKenzie um we went to UVA together and he I think I actually like um to have something to do I like I was like could you hire me as like your assistant for a little while or something so I was like his assistant and uh and had some auditions in LA and started to get a taste of that and, um, and got really close to some things, but didn't get anything right away. Um, but that just sort of started, you know, I, I was, I was so intrigued by it at that point and realized like, okay, theater is not the only thing I want to do. I want to know more about what this like creating worlds this way is about. So I kind of went back and forth between New York and LA for several years. And then, um, started mostly living in LA because of a, a series called Monday mornings that I did. Um, it was just one season on TNT, but it was so incredible. It was um, Ving Rames and uh, Alfred Molina and Bill Irwin and Jamie Bamber and Sari Rao. And it was just such a great group of actors and kind of a dream. Um, but it was on TNT at a time when like there was a lot of reshuffling and I don't know, I feel like it, not many people, knew about it not many people got to see it so we only did a season of that 
it was right after that that I did The Mentalist, and that just sort of started the ball rolling on on working a lot more consistently in TV. And I, so mostly, TV is mostly what I do now, TV and voiceover, but I still, I love theater, and I feel like I grow so much as an actor in theater. So I do, I try to do at least a play a year. Last year, I got to do a play with Tom Hanks, so that was kind of I did read that. How awesome was that? Kind of cool. Oh, my gosh. That was an absolute dream job. Yeah, yeah, so I've I've gotten to to maintain my love affair with theater while still staying busy in in television for sure. So how was so how was it uh, being on the Mentalist as your like second biggest thing? It was it was really fun overall. It was such an interesting thing to come into a show that had already been going for five seasons. Yeah, um, and when there was a lot of there were a lot of things changing because. Um, the showrunner um, was leaving to go create Gotham. Um, so it was sort of a change in leadership on the show. And they were kind of trying to decide about this new direction that they wanted to take it in. And it was really exciting to be part of those conversations. Um, but I also had this, this sense of like such respect for the world that they had already created and trying to find out like how I would fit into that. So it was kind of cool. I mean, it was it was great because a lot of the time, you know, like when with Monday mornings, the the TNT series, you know, we were all creating this world together. And so this was kind of my first time, like coming into a world that had already been created by an incredibly talented group of people. And um, then also, you know, trying to create this character anew, but seeing like where I fit into kind of this uh, this formula that had already obviously been working really really well so it was cool it was it was an interesting contrast for sure to what i had done right before that yeah. and then like i mentioned earlier you just returned back on the supernatural on the last season and you did a few seasons on that a few years ago how exciting is it to go back mm-hmm. to finish? How, how how exciting is it to go back to finish this uh season it made me so happy when they called me up because i I mean, it has been one of the most, it's led to so many unexpected things in my life. Like I had no idea when I went in to do that audition um, for the darkness (laughs) that, uh, that it would lead to um, this incredible family, really. I mean, it's such a testament to Jared and Jensen that it's such a happy, happy show. Everyone who works on the show is just in such a good mood all the time and it's such a great work environment. And, uh, and it was, I mean, talk about not knowing what to expect. I went in in season 11 and I didn't know, you know, if I was going to go in and they'd be like, okay, this is the way we do things. So just fit into this. But they were like, okay, who, who do you with this? This is who we think the darkness is. This is who we think Amara is. What do you think? What do you want to bring into this? And it was so fun and so collaborative and um so playful all the time and it it was actually funny when I first started doing conventions because I realized like I spent that entire season angry all the time like (laughs) you never saw Amara crack a smile so the first few conventions that I did the fans were pretty standoffish and I realized it was because they were kind of afraid of me like they thought okay what if what if she's actually this dragon lady like this character um and then uh, they were relieved, I think, to see that I'm just like a big doofus, and I'm I love to like just be an idiot. 
Um, and that's what was so fun, actually, about going back for this, uh, the episode that I've done for this season, is that it got to be a little lighter. And after all of the, like, hellfire and damnation and the smiting people and having this, like, epic battle with my brother God, like, it was pretty funny. And that's the side of it that has played out in real life. I mean, I, I really do feel like Rob Benedict, like, I feel like he's my brother. And we just have such a goofy time together, like at the conventions. And um, and so it was fun to kind of see that come in a little bit. And I was also just like so incredibly honored that they wanted to bring me back for the last season because they've created so many incredible characters over 15 seasons. And there's so many things that they could do and so many people they could bring back. And so it really meant a lot that they cared enough about this character to want to bring her back and to be part of this this story before the final chapter. Um, so yeah, it's been really fun. How fun is it doing those conventions? I mean, like is it, the supernatural has a huge following. So I'm sure there was lines just to meet you guys. Yeah. I had no idea what I was getting into when I first started doing the conventions. I've never encountered, like I, I got my first taste of really devoted fans on the mentalist. Um, but I just had no idea like how, how huge the fan base for Supernatural is and how passionate they are about the show and how supportive they are of each other. Um, that's really the thing that stood out to me. Like they, they form these friendships at conventions and they, you know, very often like don't see each other at all between the conventions. They'll talk online and stuff, but then they get to meet up with friends and um, you know, there's, there's a lot of time that they have to spend waiting at the convention. So it's great that they have these friends and, and there's been a lot of charitable organizations that have been formed by the fans. And there's been such incredible work done for some really great causes. And um, it's just a testament to uh, how open-hearted they are and how generous they are and how passionate they are that they've been able to make like really cool things happen that do good in the world outside mm. of the realm of like the TV show and everything. Mm. So yeah, it's been a ride. And it's also given me a chance to get back to my singing, which I, there's no way I could ever have predicted that, but we do these concerts at the conventions. There's an incredibly talented band, Loud and Swain, that plays a lot of the supernatural conventions. And we basically just have a rock concert every That's Saturday awesome. night. Um, and it's so much fun. And I've gotten to record on a couple of albums because of it. And I'm hoping to do my own. Um, I keep getting distracted from it, but I really want to. So yeah, that's been a totally unexpected and really exciting thing that's come from it. Mm -hmm. And uh, speaking of conventions, wait till now that now that the Mandalorian is just going crazy, those lines are going to get even longer for you. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. I got my first taste of that when I was just in Germany this last weekend, um, and they don't even have Disney Plus Not over yet. in Europe. So there were, you know, there were some people who had come over from the states, and so they'd seen it. There were some people who hadn't seen it and we're trying to avoid spoilers, which I think is sort of pointless at this point. Um, and then there were people who had of course been able to watch it through nefarious means. Um, but yeah, that was really cool because I had just gone to the premiere in LA on Wednesday and then I flew to Germany on Thursday. And so to like have been at the event and to get to see the first three episodes and to get to like start to hear the buzz in the, in the States from people who'd seen it and then see like how excited people were over across the ocean. It, 
I mean, I'm just giddy all the time. It's yeah. so much fun. So, okay, let's talk about the Mandalorian. How exciting is it being on there? There are no words. I don't yeah. think that there's any yeah. way that I can possibly. I mean, it. Yeah, it's 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 as cool as you would think it would be because yeah. it's. Um, I mean, it's Star Wars, I know. and and like I go back and I I look at those first movies and and I still like get so completely swept up in them and the heart of them and uh, and so to be a part of that legacy is incredible and so. In addition to like just the feeling of it of like, wow, this is Star Wars. This is so cool. It was also just such, such an awesome thing to work on because of the, the environment that Jon Favreau created. Um, and he just put together such an incredible team of people, directors who are each um, really unique in their own ways and have their own style that they've brought to their episodes. He brought together like all these incredible um, craftsmen, you know, to make the props, to make the costumes. I mean, my, my costume took weeks and weeks and weeks to make and to see them as they were assembling it um, was really just such an incredible process. Mm. And, um, and it was just such a fun set to work on. I mean, there was this, uh, I will, I think it's such a testament to, to John and, and the rest of the team that like, even though, you know, there was a lot of anticipation about it and a lot of pressure because it was Disney's like sort of flagship series for this new streaming thing, but it never felt that way. It never felt like, uh Oh, we better not mess up. It just felt like, you know what, we're going to make something really cool and we're going to put our, our hearts into it. And we're going to, we're going to play. Um, it really did bring me back to like being a kid and just like, you know, playing princess Leia and, and creating that make believe myself. I feel like, um, being on set and the process of shooting was just so much fun and it was so playful. So, so when you went for your audition, did you know that you were auditioning for star Wars? I did not. My, my, there, my agent said they thought it might be, um, You know, it had a code name, but there was nothing in it that even remotely related to Star Wars. Um, And so I thought, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. But like I I knew, you know, at that point, like nothing about The Mandalorian had been announced. So I didn't have anything to attach the audition to to even know like what even if it was Star Wars, I didn't really know like what I was getting into. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was actually like a. Oh, go ahead. And I was gonna say, so, so John Favreau was not in the casting room. Oh no. Okay. No, my audition was so incredibly low key. I went in for uh, the casting office and went on tape with um, one of the casting associates, and I did the scene. There, there were a couple of scenes, um, and I did them. And then I remember he said, "You know, we've mostly been seeing Brit." for this role so why don't you do a take with a british accent and so i was like all right yeah i'll do that because i i had done that plenty i did that on castlevania i've done that plenty in theater so i was like sure um and then it was funny because i i fast forward to when i was actually shooting it i remember i was running the lines for the scenes with uh my now husband and he said wait a minute isn't she supposed to be british and i was like oh my gosh i totally forgot so like i forgot that that had even been part of my audition <laughs> Um, but yeah, I just did the, did the scenes. It was just 
with this casting associate with nobody else. And then, uh, they started to reveal a little bit more about it when they offered it to me. But at that point, like they'd, they'd hardly cast anyone. There still like weren't really big names attached yet. Um, so I still didn't quite know what I was getting into, which I'm really glad for because I shot all of my stuff a year ago before the series was ever announced before anyone involved with it was ever announced. And I'm so grateful for that because I think that it really let me work in a way where like, I didn't have to feel the pressure of like being part of this huge thing. Um, it also made it sort of weird because I still like, you know, I would, Oh my gosh, I've never had such a secretive process of like getting scripts. Like I had to log into this online portal and every time I wanted to read one of the scripts, it would like register that I had logged in and how much time I was online and all of this stuff. Um, and it, it really, it actually wasn't until I got to set like a couple of days before shooting where I got to like sit down and talk with John and, and Dave Filoni about who this character was, I mean, in detail. Yeah. And they gave me some really great jumping off points because they talked about, and I think even George Lucas sort of, he, he was um, super interested in Kurosawa films and like the rituals of the samurai and that formality and that order and that kind of like spiritual aspect. And that was something that John talked about right away with the armorer and how she, she is sort of a spiritual figure for this clan that's in hiding. And, um, you know, he talked about the importance of ritual and the importance of their code and the importance of all these, these things that are central to their people and that have sort of gotten lost because they've been overthrown. And, you know, as we see when we're first introduced to the Mandalorian, like he's sort of a free agent. You don't know who he's connected to, who he feels like an allegiance to. And the armorer, I think, is trying to, like, keep the Mandalorians that are there grounded in who they are and what is important to them. Because if they don't have that, what else do they have in this universe that is in a little bit of chaos right now? How was it uh, playing that character and um, how was it actually having that armor on? <laughs> well, I'm really glad that it it looks as dignified uh, and impressive as it does because yeah. being inside of it feels ridiculous. Um, I, I really hope that they have a bloopers reel at some point, because I have to tell you, if you get like two people that are dressed as Mandalorians in a room together, they will inevitably run into each other <laughs> and like bonk helmets and trip over things because we had like no peripheral vision. I couldn't, and it's so interesting to work in a mask and to work in armor like that because you realize that all these things that that you're used to using to communicate, you know, your your eyes and your mouth and a tilt of the head, like in your, your hands, like all of those things are covered up. And so, um, especially with this first episode when we were first starting to shoot and we were first starting to see like, okay, how do these Mandalorians... Uh, like what story is told in their movements when you see it on camera. And that was a really interesting thing to, to kind of learn on the fly as we were shooting and to gather information about like, okay, if I, you know, if I try to like, if I'm walking across the room and I try to glance down to see where I'm going, that actually looks huge because I've got this helmet on and like, I have to move my whole head. 
So there could be no, especially with the armor, there could be no extraneous movements. Like every movement seemed like it told a story. Um, and that was interesting. That, that was very different from anything I've done in TV before and actually let me kind of call back on some of my theater training and mask work that I've done in theater, mm-hmm. um, which was really cool because I hadn't gotten to do anything like that on, on camera before. Um, and it turned out that that was a useful thing to have. And, and I talked about that a lot with, with John and, and Dave, as we were kind of learning this language and, um, talked about mask work and, um, yeah, but it, uh, I was, I'm really glad that the armor is a deliberate and fairly slow moving Mandalorian because yeah. that made it easier for me to avoid running into things. And, oh my gosh, I, there, there were so many different you know, those sequences where I'm making weapons that, that is me like hammering and um, putting things into the fire and stuff. And there were so many times that I would like drop things or I couldn't like quite like there was something little that I needed to pick up and I couldn't cause I had these huge gloves on. And so I'm, I'm super grateful that they made it look as good as it does. Cause it didn't always feel that way. So, so when you got the role, did you go back to watch the original star Wars again just to prepare yourself for this? Oh Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did that, and then I tried to um, I tried to educate myself more on the Mandalorian people, and I yeah. knew that like with the animated series, there'd been a bit more about that. Um, but it was pretty daunting because I I you know as soon as you Google like anything related to Star Wars, there are infinite rabbit holes that you could go down. So I definitely did some poking around, but then it was just it was helpful to to get to talk to John and to Dave. Um, about what was most important for this story that we were telling. And we were all super, super, super lucky to have Dave Filoni as one of the directors and one of the producers because he is just an encyclopedia of Star Wars knowledge. I don't think I've ever met anyone. I think he probably knows more than the Internet knows about Star Wars. Hmm. And so it was helpful to have him to know, like to really ground ourselves like specifically in where we are in the star wars timeline for this story and like what it means um with the events that have preceded and you know what hasn't happened yet it was great to have that there um yeah i I can't wait to see what happens next with your character yeah more more will be revealed (laughs) now how do you feel about disney plus not doing the whole binge watching thing and just release an episode a week I love it because so I, I love the anticipation that it creates. So, I think it's so much fun to like to have to wait a whole week and to not know what's going to happen next. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and to me, it's kind of like cause I don't have time to, to binge. Yeah, I'm a busy person, so it's like for me, it's like you know what? I know Friday or Friday night, I'll watch it. Well, and then it becomes more of like a community event because exactly. you know with binge watching, like. People, some one person is going to binge it like as soon as it all comes out one person's going to wait a week yeah. but with an episode coming out every week it, it takes you back to like everyone seeing the same thing at the same time or at least in the united states yeah um so it's yeah it's more of a community event that way and i think that's really cool so we've had a few episodes so far how do you feel about everybody going crazy about the baby yoda um i i, I think it's understandable that they yeah. go crazy about the um, it's not, I mean, we're, we're told it's not Yoda. Yeah. I know it's easy to refer to him as Yoda, but they, they yeah. say it's, 
the the child. The child. Yeah. Um, I mean, first of all, he's like the cutest thing you've ever seen, and um, and I yeah, I mean, because he looks so much like Yoda, it's I I went crazy when I first saw the puppet on set. Um, and it is a puppet. I mean, I think that's really cool because I know one of the stories that John has been telling people is, uh, you know, they, they wanted to do the puppet because that puppet for what they used, like back in the original movies, they didn't want to like resort to CGI, but they, they shot a lot of the scenes two different ways, just in case the puppet didn't look good on film. And so they would shoot with the puppet and then they would shoot, um, a clean plate so that they could CGI the puppet or the, the baby in if they needed to. And apparently there was a scene that they were doing with Werner Herzog with the puppet. Um, and then they, you know, they finished it, they cut, and then they were about to do it with the clean plate and said, what are you doing? And they, they told him, and he, he said, you are cowards. <laughs> because he thought that they should stick to the puppet and just trust that and trust that that was going to work. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I totally understand the insanity that it has created. And I think it's, it's really cool. Yeah. So I agree. So uh, how did you get involved with like voice work? How did you, um, fall, how did you fall into that? Yeah. I'm trying to think of like what my first thing was. Uh, I mean, I, I, it, it, I, through my commercial agents, I just started doing voiceover auditions and I did a few TV spots, commercial spots. Um, and it, it's funny with voiceover work because very often like people will say like, oh, you have such a great voice. You should do voiceovers. But it's actually a relatively, from what I'm told, it's a pretty small, um, a small field. Like there's, there's a, a a few voices that do a lot of the work. So it can be really hard to break into. So for me, what it's looked like is just doing like audition after audition, after audition, after audition. And then finally like getting some really cool ones. I mean, Castlevania was something like that where I just auditioned for it. Like I would anything else. And, um, uh, again, like didn't, it it was also one of those projects that I, I didn't really know what I was getting into. I had some frame of reference from the, the video game and the graphic novels, but I didn't see anything. I didn't see any of the animation until I went in till I booked the job and I went in to record the first day. And then they showed me some sketches of what it was going to look like. And I, my breath was just taken away because I think it's just so visually stunning. Um, but yeah, Castlevania has been a really cool thing to work on and to, to kind of see how that story's unfolded over a few seasons. Um, There's another season then, coming up too, right? There is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then that's also voiceover was my way into video game work. And, uh, I actually am part of, I did some motion capture and voiceover for the last of us part two, which I think is coming out next year now. Um, and that was also a really cool thing and very mysterious thing to be a part of. How fun was it doing the motion captioning? I've had a few guests on before and they love it. It's really cool. Yeah, I love how physical it is. And I love that it, it definitely makes you flex those imagination muscles because you're usually, you know, you're in a room with nothing. You've got like, and you're in one of those really ridiculous looking suits with Velcro balls all over it. And you've got like a, a rig on your head with a camera. 
So you feel totally weird and you really just have to call on your imagination. Um, but I, I just think that it's such fascinating work to see like what is created in a, a very bare bones studio and then what these incredible animators put on top of it. Um, and I, I, the, the last of us too, was like the first time that I'd, I'd done a video game where I went and got to meet with Neil, the director. And he like, is just so passionate about the story and what he wants to communicate with the story and the chance to use, you know, I, I was into video games when I was younger and I, I would get really caught up in those computer games, um, that you could, like my brother and I would, we would get a computer game every Christmas that would make us sit down like basically for 12 hours and like try to play all the way through to the end of the story. Like a lot of those role-playing games. Um, and I think that it's incredible that with, I mean, obviously the technology that's evolved is incredible, but also the opportunity to um, tell a story and, and to communicate a message and to try to teach something with the games, I think is something really really noble. Um, and so it was cool to, before I started working on The Last of Us, to talk to Neil about that and to kind of think about the greater vision within yeah. this world of play. Hmm. Interesting. So would you do more video games down the road, do you think? Do you want to do it? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. The thing, I, I've had the opportunity to do a few more, but uh, they tend to be a huge time commitment over a long span of time. Yeah. And um, because it would mean, like, there was one that I started doing, um, The Order 1886, and I still I still have a, a voice credit in it because they did use some of my work. But I wound up, um, it conflicted with uh, a series that I was doing. And so at some point, like, we just couldn't resolve the conflicts anymore. And that's been the main thing is, I think, I, I love doing video games. It's so fun, but I would rather put that time into like a TV series yeah. um, or a movie. So that's sort of been the, the limiting factor. What's uh, what's coming up next for you? Any future projects that you can tell us about? Um, well, I'm, I'm going to be busy till the end of the um, SEAL team season recurring on that. Um, so that's been really cool. Um, and also just like, it, it's kind of great to have a show that is so naturalistic and grounded in reality to, contrast with you know going back and working on supernatural or yeah. doing the stuff on the mandalorian it's fun to have that mix of things so field team is is the thing that i know i'll, I'll be doing for the next few months and beyond that i don't know <laughs> all right emily how can the listeners find you on social media um i am on instagram and i'm on twitter as big e swalls b-i-g-e-s-w-a-l-l-z um, and I do have a Facebook page. Um, and then if they're just randomly searching YouTube, they can find lots of videos of me singing. That's awesome. That's awesome. Emily, thank you for coming on. This was fun. Thank you. It was great to talk.